You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Kings don't belong on crosses. That's what we're all given to uh, expect and to believe in the world in which we live. Kings do not belong on crosses. You and I are raised, and, you know, kings are not really practical for you and me so much, but throughout the world, I mean, you can put in any word you like, uh, leader, uh, you know, head of state, what have you, but a king certainly is an image uh, in the world that uh, exudes great power. Kings don't belong on crosses. We, we would never expect to see a king in a place of shame, in a place of, uh, I mean, absolute brutal pain, and yet here we have it on this last Sunday after Pentecost. We see Christ, our King, on the cross in this reading from uh, Luke's gospel. Now, we often, we preachers are guilty of doing this, uh, criticizing the lectionary for this or that and saying, oh, they should have done this uh, here or there. This is a powerful place where the lectionary gets it right. As we proclaim Christ, our King, we're not so much proclaiming uh, Jesus on the throne. While that is true, what is unique uh, about the Christian message is our King Uh, chooses to be identified on the cross. You would expect to find a king on the throne. I mean, this is who uh, we we believe kings are, power and authority and privilege. Uh, The Christian message is our king condescends. Our king uh, actively chooses to take on our sin and our shame. Now, if you've been around the church long enough, this is not something uh, new for you. But perhaps if this is your first time hearing it, you think this is a scandal Why in the world would this so-called king die a criminal's death? As we know, on the uh, Roman crosses, it was criminals, not citizens, but the lowest rungs of the ladder found themselves on the cross. And here we have it, Jesus, Jesus, our Galilean king, as we just sang, hanging on the cross. Oftentimes, folks come to Christianity. They've heard about Christianity. They expect great power. They expect uh, tremendous uh, worldly power. And throughout the church's uh, history, indeed, uh, particularly in the Roman church and throughout the world in history, the church has wielded earthly power. But never was this Jesus' vision that we would have earthly power. In fact, those things that we have uh, privilege and power and authority in a worldly sense uh, are our greatest demise. Jesus rode into Jerusalem, if you will remember, on a donkey, not on a war horse, not with a sword, uh, but proclaiming his peace. And throughout his gospel, or throughout his ministry, I should say, in the gospels, uh, proclaiming God's peace and forgiveness. And this is the very reason uh, he's found himself where he is. Proclaiming forgiveness is what ultimately uh, got him killed. Because who can forgive sins? Certainly not uh, fellow man. Only God alone, as we see in Mark chapter 2, um, Jesus proclaimed uh, this paralytic's sins were forgiven. He says, get up, your sins are forgiven. And the people are uh, aghast. Only God can forgive sins. And of course, throughout his ministry, time and time again, uh, both in word and in deed, uh, effectually giving that peace and forgiveness. And so he finds himself on the cross. It wasn't a surprise to him. Jesus knew this was coming. He knew this was his fate. Uh, for he was the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth. This was not a plot twist from God's perspective. Uh, He knew this was coming. In fact, if you go back to Mark chapter 8, you see a dialogue between Jesus and Peter, Jesus and all the disciples. 
And Peter confesses that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the chosen one of God, you know, a king of sorts in uh, Israel's paradigm. And that's all fine and good until Jesus says, uh, but I will be delivered and betrayed and killed. And Peter says, far be it from me, Lord, this cannot be the case. Do you recall what Jesus responded to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan. See, Peter had that view that you and I by default have, that kings don't belong on crosses. And yet, this is the way in which God has revealed himself. God choosing actively, not just to die, but to die a criminal's humiliating death. And so, here on this Sunday, this Christ the King Sunday, we hold this up. We hold this up much like the serpent in the wilderness. This is our very life and our very salvation held up before us. We don't get another God. This is God. As Thomas Torrance once said, there's no God hiding behind the back of Jesus. When you look upon Jesus on the cross, this is God. There's no reason behind it or above it or below it. This is what God is saying unto us. Our highest achievement is humanity, as humans, our human achievement is we put the Son of God to death. And of course, you can protest and say, gosh, that was 2,000 years ago. I had nothing to do with that. I'm fully confident that if Jesus appeared today, we would do the same exact thing. That's the proclamation of the Scriptures. So what does Jesus say on the cross? What does this king say? I mean, if I were king and I were on the cross, I would declare my edict, get me down from here. I would be calling in all the diplomats to get me uh, back to my throne. But Jesus' words, gently, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What kind of king does that? Jesus, exercise your power. Jesus, exercise your authority. The answer is, he is. This is his power and his authority to forgive sins. And even more powerfully, to forgive sins that are not acknowledged. Now, in the context of this, he's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Perhaps it's the, it's the, uh, the Roman uh, guards there that are putting him on the cross. They're not sure who they're putting on the cross. But this word extends through all of creation, all of humanity. Forgive us, Lord, for we know not what we have even done. As time goes on, uh, he continues to be mocked, and they call him uh, mockingly the king of the Jews. And they say, save yourself. You've saved others. Why don't you save yourself? And that's the great irony of this. He has saved others by not saving himself. He allowed himself willfully, once again, to be delivered on the cross, to be delivered into death, I should say, so that we might be saved. Not saving himself so that you and I would know uh, his grace and his mercy. And so finally, it's only one who finally realizes who he is. It's that other thief on the cross, this other criminal, who says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's the only one in the text that seems to recognize Jesus for who he actually is. There's no uh, sarcasm. There's no mocking in his voice. He simply says, Jesus, humbly, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus declares a promise unto him. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is uh, countercultural power and authority and privilege we're seeing uh, on the cross. Perhaps not the way I would have done it. If I were a king, I'd be as far removed from danger as possible, eating grapes that are fed to me by my servants, drinking a chalice, getting fat day in and day out. Not so hard for you to imagine, huh? 
That's the way uh, we've uh, been given to, to appreciate uh, uh, authority and, and kingdom. But Jesus does the exact opposite, condescending, taking a lowly birth, a lowly life, an ordinary life, nothing from the outside uh, that would suggest royalty. And to the very dying breath, proclaiming God's peace and forgiveness. So once again, we we're given to reflect on these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's effectual. Those words uh, do what they say they do. Forgiveness is real because of Jesus' word and Jesus' actions. It doesn't say, Father, forgive them if they figure out what they're doing. Father, forgive them if they repent accordingly. Father, forgive them if their life is amended from this day on out. It says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And in knowing their forgiveness, perhaps those other things catch on. Amendment of life, repentance, life change. But none of that is conditional on the Word. The Word is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, that's good news for you and for me, spoken in the first century, but reaching out to us by the Holy Spirit. Father, forgive us, for we know not what we do. Now, oftentimes we know what we do. I've watched my children. They know what they're doing to each other. When they say words like mine, uh, my, my youngest has had a habit lately of knocking down my son's blocks. He'll build a tower kind of like the Tower of Babel, and Mary will do the act of God and uh, knock it down, all towering, tumbling to the ground. Sometimes we do know what we're doing. She has that look on her face. She knows what she's done. But oftentimes it's the case we don't know the full extent of, of our actions towards fellow man and uh, much more so to God himself. I experienced this years ago, and again, I'm well aware of the sins that I actively uh, commit uh, but a few years ago, you don't know this about me, or perhaps you do, uh, I love to prank. I love a good prank. Phone calls in particular, I love prank phone calls. And I got in the habit of, of uh, pranking people, and it was kind of fun, and all in good fun, no harm done. You know, I pranked my wife about a car that we had sold, that it was uh, parked in someone's yard, and a drunken driver had put it there, and it was registered in her name. Yeah, I mean, it was funny, pretty, pretty harmless. Uh, and I kind of moved up the ladder, I, I pranked my brother, um, telling him that he had won a Nintendo Switch. This was 2016. They were hot off the press, and he had won this raffle, and he just had to come redeem it. Um, and so, of course, there was no Nintendo Switch waiting for him. And I got pretty good at this. And when we moved to New York, I started pranking my colleagues at Calvary St. George's uh, Church. And you may know that uh, Ben DeHart was on staff there as well. And unfortunately for Ben, he was one of my victims. And I called Ben, disguised my voice, changed the number, and, uh, you know, criticized him for one of his sermons. This was a terrible thing to do. I mean, absolutely terrible. Uh, terrible. Now, again, this was wrong. And I can actively say this was wrong to do. But I didn't realize the full effect of what I'd done. I thought surely he would know I was joking. Uh, but he was pacing around the room on the, on the phone. Um, and unfortunately, guys, it didn't stop there. Uh, I called Jim Monroe as well. If you remember uh, the very Reverend Jim Monroe who stood in this pulpit two months ago, uh, I called and, and did a similar thing and threatened to pull my pledge from the church, some, you know, so-and-so parishioner, Mr. Jones, uh, if he didn't start preaching better sermons. Awful. I mean, truly awful. And again, I knew it was a prank, so from my perspective, no harm, but uh, this undoubtedly wrecked uh, Jim's day, and Jim called the rector of the church, uh, just worried like you wouldn't believe. And when I got word of that, <clears throat> realizing how worried Jim was, uh, it crushed me. It absolutely crushed me. This was a moment where God shone the light into my darkness. 
uh, I did not know the full extent of how much heart, uh, harm I had done. And we as preachers and clergy and people who work in the church, we can kind of laugh at that, but that was a terrible, terrible thing to do. Now, thankfully, Jim has a good sense of humor, and uh, he really appreciated it ultimately. But you see what I'm saying? This was not so innocent, but in some sense innocent. We don't always know the full extent of what we've done. I'm constantly told to buy the right coffee that's, you know, humanely uh, harvested, uh, the types of clothes that are, uh, you know, fair work practices, fair trade. But even then, I mean, there's only so far actively that we can control with what we spend and what we do. There's a ripple effect to all that we do. Things none, things known and unknown. Um, but the unknown is, is even more profound because I can try my best uh, as we confess our sins daily, but even on Sundays liturgically, to acknowledge all the sins that I know, that I know. But it's the unknown parts that I have no control over, absolutely no control. And so bringing it all back, that long, silly story, uh, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. There's parts in your lives, if you're being honest, there's parts in your lives, you're not aware of the effect, words that were said, actions that were done, uh, decisions that were made. And perhaps they were made uh, in good faith. And yet we don't know the full uh, ripple effect, again, to our fellow uh, humanity, but also, more importantly, to God himself. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Perhaps you feel like you don't belong here this morning. There's something hidden. There's something hidden. There's an unknown part of you. The good news for you this morning is, well, none of us belong. None of us uh, have credentials in God's kingdom. None of us come with the right uh, stamp on our passport until we've heard these words, that we are forgiven for things known and things unknown. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So it's not my credentials that allow me a place at God's kingdom. It's Jesus' gracious invitation. It's his forgiveness, his peace that's effectual and made effectual on the cross and in the resurrection. That's how we come to know this king, this king who chooses to hang from the cross and declare his promise to us that we are forgiven. And the hope and the prayer, as we sung just a few moments ago from the first song of Isaiah, is that we would make his deeds known among the people. That's what we're doing right now. We're making his deeds on the cross known. See that he, they remember that his name is exalted. This king that we exalt chooses not to be exalted on a throne, but exalted on a cross, so that you would know peace now and forevermore. So, Father, forgive us, for we know not what we do. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.